So I just want to welcome everybody to uh, our book club here on, I guess it's the day before Valentine's Day on February 13th, 2023. And uh, we're here to discuss The City of Dirty Water by Clayton Thomas Mueller. And um, really honored to have a huge group here with us. And we're recording this on Treaty 7 territory, uh, the land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. Uh, we've already done introductions as well. My name's Michelle Robinson. I use she and her pronouns. And I wanted to start this year not by forcing people to do homework, but to really engage with them in a really constructive way on, you know, things to be thinking about as we read a book. So I, I kind of gave them some questions like your feelings going into the selection. Were you surprised by the selection after you read it? What did you learn? Uh, what Indigenous worldview did you understand from the selection? And I'm just looking through my notes here. <laughs> uh, what intersections were missing? Uh, thinking of one of our, our uh, group here that regularly talks about um, disability and maybe some other intersectionalities that may have been missing from this. What trigger warnings would you recommend? Um, would you want the authors or collaborators or report makers, what would you want them to know about the selection to you? Would you recommend it to others? Um, who would you tell about the selection and why? Were there solutions, moments of joy, humorous moments that you remember? And, uh, you know, these are the types of things I wanted to engage people. Like if you were to write a letter to elected officials, what would your main points be? Uh, one of the things that folks may not know is that Indigenous authors regularly are targeted with racism. So I was going to ask people, would you consider writing a positive review publicly? And then lastly, you know, if there were other things that triggered you or, or lasting uh, thoughts. So I wanted to kind of throw those questions out at folks to be thinking about that as they're reading this, because it's not just um, somebody's story. This is uh, somebody's story who is, you know, dramatically affected by poor government policy at many different levels. And, um, you know, to really encapsulate what you're reading in the TRC within the MMIW report and how that directly relates to maybe some of the things you're seeing. So um, I, I made some notes as I was reading it, and I uh, was thinking a lot about human rights issues. I was watching Dr. Cindy Blackstock on a McGill webinar talking about courage and evidence-based courage and activism. You know, so I, I'm looking for courage and evidence-based evidence data and activism, knowing that um, the author already encapsulates all of that, right? I've known him for a long time. He, he does that. Uh, some things I learned, I actually didn't know he was in a gang or in juvie jail, and that sucks. So that um, I know immediately what that means is that he has um, experienced colonial violence and likely uh, violence from other folks. Like these are things that, you know, obviously change. Um, so worldview, obviously he's a male, I'm a female. So we have slightly different ways of looking at it, but I related to him so much because he's Gen X. And he explains, you know, his Indigenous activism so well for folks who have not faced systemic oppression. You know, they don't have to be activists as opposed to him and I were forced into this. And it's not something we wanted. It's just something we're forced to do. Um, he describes in uh, page 80 having 
some natives in Winnipeg having ties to AIM. A uh, man in the Friendship Center uh, wouldn't even talk about it here in 1995 when I went to the Calgary Friendship Center. So, um, you know, I looked at a bunch of brochures on the wall and none of them appealed to me. And I didn't go back to the Friendship Center until long after my daughter was born. So like we, he was really lucky to have the Winnipeg Friendship Center be so active and have folks really encouraging other people. So I was really happy for him. Um, I said, I'm glad these roots in the 90s was happening for him in Winnipeg because his voice has helped the folks so much today. I also think about the residential schools closing at that same time of, you know, him doing that work in, in Winnipeg and me coming to Calgary and realizing that was when they were last closing. What are some intersections that are missing? I struggle with glorifying Leonard, Leonard Peltier because of Anna May Anguash. Um, I imagine a huge group of us natives being present on you know, Leonard Peltier's next parole and in solidarity against racism and colonialism. But for me, wishing there was, you know, the, this injustice for Annie May's murder, knowing all the evidence is lost and all of her killers will never, never be prosecuted, much like most missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit issues. Uh, trigger warnings, would you recommend? Um, just from what I went through, domestic violence, child rape, colonial trauma, Indian residential schools, nuns, healthcare, group homes, family loss, mental health institutionalization, which is its own colonial trauma, um, racism, exclusion, gangs, violence. Uh, what would I want the authors to know about his book? I would want Clayton to know how his uncle Alec, single-handedly keeping his trap line from being logged, was incredible and being jailed for two years because of it was unacceptable and an injustice. What I recommended to others 100% um, were their joys I remember. I remember page 35 and 36 being so funny. Okay, so this is a little bit of a trigger warning for people who don't like talking about sex. He, he said he masturbated across the US and <laughs> I thought that was so funny. I laughed so hard and then um, I have um, a step family that's Austrian. So I just got a kick out of him talking about his grandparents having sex while they were crossing the US. I thought that was so funny. Um, I also thought it was funny about him getting a German passport because of the way it all worked out. Um, I actually Googled that Central Park fountain that's in Winnipeg that he talked about. And it really is just something so beautiful if you like colonial type uh, architect. But I was really sad about his memory of the razor floors of it. Like what an awful thing. I, I talk a lot about um, uh, hostile urban design. And like, what a great example of we don't want those Indian kids in, in the fountains. So we're just going to put razor floors there like Jesus. But I'm glad he documented it because I know um, the urban folks that talk about urban planning and such, you know, they like to forget these things. They like to whitewash it all, right? So I'm glad he talked about that. Um, page 39, the, the pride he had. Thank uh, being you. On, uh, somebody's talking. I'm just going to mute you. Um, yeah, the pride he he was talking about being on patrol. <laughs> you know, when you're at school and you're you're on patrol, and he had so much pride about doing that. And he was like, so his mom was like, "Hey, how was your day?" 
saved lives, mom saved lives. And I was just like, bang, that's so funny. <laughs> and then, uh, and then he talked about his dog, uh, Schnoof, that would um, bite through a can of Budweiser and get shit faced. And I thought that was pretty funny. So um, what triggered me was lots of trauma from the um, Christmas holiday. So panic and anxiety attacks, that's tough on me. My 15 year old was finishing her first high school term in a non-Indigenous high school and she's doing fantastic. But you know, the idea of her going on a date with a Cree Indian agent and having sex and getting pregnant was, is so upsetting to me. Um, and then, you know, she didn't even tell the father is a statement I can't believe somebody would say or think because how could she even possibly understand at the age of 15? How could she even possibly comprehend it? I was so angry about all of that. But, you know, so that that makes that triggers me because to me, having a 15 year old having sex like that's just sexual violence. And then you know, this Cree Indian agent, obviously misusing his power in such a negative way. Like I, I want to find him and I personally want to like, you know, tell him what I think. <laughs> Another thing that I found really um, hard was the racism that Canadian parents um, regularly say to us as natives. And, uh, you know, I'm Gen X, he's Gen X. So what he was describing absolutely resonated. I'm like, oh yeah, those guys got it. Um, you know, and I really think he, you know, for, for folks like us born in the 70s and have gone through the 80s and 90s and all of these ridiculous microaggressions from Canadian parents, like he, he just really encapsulated. And I, I really want it to like resonate in the soul of the settlers of having like, you know, in my case, we're almost at 50 years of hate by Canadians, well-meaning patriot, you know, uh, patriot uh, or uh, really condescending type of of belief systems that are said to uh, to folks like me like oh my god you speak English so well or whatever and and how many of us had to not have friends that we were good friends with but because they were not native and their parents were racist we weren't allowed to be friends and he really explained it well um so and I also wanted to say one of his teachers was Mr. Bird, and he was the one who really wrecked the educational system for him that really left him on a tra trajectory of um, being forced into, you know, juvie jail and a life of crime just because, you know, educators have so much more power than they recognize, but then when they really destroy our souls as Indigenous children, um, you know, they're the ones who really set us on this road to knowing we're not worth anything. Canadians have told us that your media tells us that your educational tools tell us that the teachers tell us that. So yeah, we end up in jail, right? <laughs> and to absolutely nobody's surprise, right? So the power that Canadians have by just sim simply being nice, the way they would actually be nice to other people would be a major part of this. So I didn't even finish the book. And these are all the things I was already reflecting on before even finishing the book. Um, and I would have liked to, but I just was unable to because I had an unexpected guest. But I believe that was meant to be. And um, I'm proud to have done that. So yeah, so that that was kind of my reflections and such. And, and Kathy, if you heard me speak about anything that you just want to kind of touch base on, please do. And uh, if not, that's okay. Maybe we'll just start at the top. Carol, Kat, Rosemary, Jen, 
Marla, Marnie, Mike, Paul, Rebecca, Shelley, Siri, and Wendy. And uh, yeah, we'll go from there. So I will pause it. So I, I did read the entire book, Michelle. In fact, when I picked the book up, I couldn't put it down. I, um, I There was so much to it. There's so much on so many levels. I scarcely know where to begin. And I tried to um, think about this and be coherent in my thinking, but there was just too much. Um, I would say that there's some things that stuck out in my mind quite a bit. And you said, it's, it's not just a story, but I saw it as, I, um, as it is his story. It is his. And I thought this is a narrative that's important. And when people give us this information, we can't be sloppy with it. We have to respect it. This is this person's life. And this is what made him. And this is what made him make all these changes to um, uh, look after the climate, which I am so in favor of. And, and actually do some climate change presentations. And my generation is really hard to convince about things. And so what I do with these books is I send these books. After I read them, I send them to people for them to read and with the requirement, they pass it on to someone else. But there was just so much and there was like an incoherence between people that would really hurt him and then he, he really loved them. And, and I thought, oh, it's, it's almost incoherent, but he somehow has, um, there's a process for him that he's kind of moved through that. And um, I wasn't always clear what that was because um, his mom was you know, pretty tough on him at times and he had such a hard life. But the fact that um, the reconnection with the earth and the things that he wants to do, I mean, I couldn't put the book down. I, I probably finished it in a week. And there was one thing that he said, and it was on page 83. And, it, and he says that the fact is once you're on the path towards justice, there is a momentum that keeps you going. And that's so resonated with me because like, and then, then he acknowledges that's when he realizes that what the word warrior meant. And I thought, well, I would not consider myself a warrior, but the path towards justice, that's, that's so important because you, once you do become um, engaged in that, you do gain a momentum. You do understand what needs to be done, climate, um, all kinds of things, and, and that really stayed with me. So I really liked his book, and um, yeah, I just devoured it, and it's going to go in the mail soon to someone else. Thanks. Oh, that's great. I, I think part of the reason why he put that in there, though, is because of, um, you know, the stereotypes of what an Indigenous warrior is, and I think, too, you know, I, I, that part specifically really encapsulated, it's not something we want, it's something we're forced into. And we either have a choice to worry or up or not. And I, I that's what I took from it, uh, to really counter Canadian ideas of what Indigenous warriors are. Because Indigenous warrior in, in Canadian such settler racist contact or uh, context is, um, you know, violence. But to us as Indigenous people, being a warrior means using your, your words in a powerful, strong way that's not hurtful. 
and part of activism. And, that, and I thought he really, you know, encapsulated that well in that section. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, and I'm going to pause it and ask Kat. Um, I loved this book. There, as um, a few people have said already, there's just so much in it. I would highly recommend it. I will be writing positive reviews about it. Um, one little fun fact I found was we were born in the same hospital, Clayton, Thomas, Mueller, and I. So that was funny. Um, I learned a lot about the city where I was born, and um, I really appreciated what he had to say about activism and um, uh, the path that one is on and um, turning anger into love. If he were here, I would love to hear more about that from him, but um, anger is something that I sometimes struggle with in, in my activism, like trying, you know, trying not to burn out <laughs> from that anger, but um, yes, it's a good reminder to turn that into love, like he and Cindy Blackstock have said, um, and you can go a lot further in life and with with your um, with your social justice work if you are not fiery fiery in the belly all the time. So um, I'm gonna read this book again down the road and um, yeah no I can't recommend it higher higher more highly. Um, there is just so 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 much. And I really uh, respect and appreciate all his experiences and sharing them um, so honestly with the reader. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Kat. Uh, just trying to think if there's anything Indigenous that I should add to that, but I think he did a great job too. And just as everyone has, and Rosemary, would you um, like to be recorded? And you're still muted, my friend. <laughs> I'm having so much trouble today getting my finger to go on the right button. Came in the house to turn off the alarm and I just kept hitting the wrong button. So of course the siren went off and the rest of my day has been like that. Um, I apologize because I was only able to read about like Kathy, about 50, 55 pages. I am a week behind in my head and I thought the book club was next Monday. Um, but even from those first <clears throat> 50 pages, uh, I can't help but you know reflect on uh, the final report on murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls and to us in terms of violence and how pervasive it can be because he, he portrays that so clearly. Um, it just seemed like it was all around him. It was in his family, it was how his mother was treated. It's how he was treated as a little boy by you know, other people. Uh, then, then the violence, right, of the school system and what it does. And uh, I, I'm to come through that. I, I'm, I'm very anxious to read the rest of the book, uh, especially the part on healing and uh, how he's addressed that. And I just wanted <coughs> to respond to something you said, Michelle, when you used the word courage. And um, 
I attended a, a webinar with five black women working in the area of diversity and equity from different parts of the country. And they talked about what it means to be in white spaces and to be trying to do that work. And they said they really did not like the word resilience. And I think it's because it brings up um, certain ideas. Oh, you're, oh, it's always the strong black woman or the strong indigenous woman keeping everything together. But they talked about the, they wanted to use the word courage instead, that it takes courage to be in those spaces. It takes courage to be an activist. It takes courage to stand up, right, for, for what you um, need to do and, and to defend yourself. <clears throat> the other thing they talked about, you used the term microaggression. Yeah. And they also, every, every panelist said they really don't like that term microaggression because in terms of the harm that's caused, it, it feels like a macro aggression. Yeah. So it's just given me so much um, to think about. And when I think of this book we've been reading, I mean, he was faced constantly and I'm, I'm just appalled at, at those teachers. In, in theory, a Manitoba, there's been so much work done in Manitoba around anti-racism and, um, uh, indigenous education. Like, I think they're probably way in advance of here, and yet still he's very young and he was still experiencing all of that. So I'm just going to leave it at that. I, it's, it's, it's so full, those first 50 pages. And yet, you know, as you said, there are humorous points. And he had a, a range of experiences from traveling and different relatives and yeah. So I, I, based on what I've read so far, I would definitely encourage people to read it and to th really think hard, right? About the report on murdered missing indigenous women and violence and the pervasiveness of it and why, and, and coloniz you know, colonization is the primary cause of that violence, how it distorts relationships and uh, what's needed for healing. I mean, it's, it's directly connected to that report. Right. Um, I haven't really talked to you all about it quite yet, um, but there's there was a fabulous video of an NDP MP, uh, Blake Desjardins uh, from Edmonton, talking to Canada Correction Services and saying, you know, you're failing and their own top bureaucrats and such not knowing about the calls to action that directly are related to the correctional system and so he just nailed it i was so proud of him i tried to share it to everybody um on my social medias in the hopes that they would watch it and the importance of one of the things that he said you know do you have any idea how hard it took me to get here to be able to say these words and i told him like you spoke on behalf of all indigenous if i had the opportunity to be in front of correctional canada and say you suck at trc and you need to pull your heads out of your asses i would too so i was really proud of him for what he did um but again it relates back to this book. It relates back to all of it. And like my daughter is in the school system today experiencing racism today. So yeah, we have on paper lots of policies that say we're, you know, anti-racist 
and we're working on reconciliation and we're not homophobic, but yet my daughter comes home every day to tell me something that, you know, is wrong in our system, right? <laughs> Despite the so-called CARES policy that the CBE has out there, like they have obviously no accountability or mechanism to show any positive part of it. And that is in 2023. So I can't, I mean, I, you know, our kids are going to John A. McDonald High School. So what I experienced in, in school, what he's experienced in school, you know, having crappy teachers can ruin a child's life. And I really love that he showcased that so well here, because when I talk about it today in 2023, I think people don't understand, like, this is today, this is the issue. This is the anti-Indigenous bias we see today. So it, it hasn't stopped. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Um, so I'm going to pause it and ask. Recorded. Um, so thank you to everyone that remembers details like this. I read a book and I almost always go to more um, general themes that I kind of pick up. So. Um, and then I feel like I've missed so much content when I hear everyone speak. So this is the joy of joining a book club and hearing everyone's um, thoughts and perspectives. Um, I think uh, it's funny you mentioned, Michelle, the sort of Gen X viewpoint. Um, I also read Jesse Thistle's book and, and um, I don't know if... Um, Oh my gosh, Alicia Elliott. I'm not sure if she's a Gen Xer. Mm. She's maybe she younger, maybe. Um, but uh, kind of just knowing that I grew up in that same time period and and not experiencing remotely, obviously, what um, he has gone through, um, the courage to move through everything and still be an activist. And um, I can, I think mentally, I can understand that um, what you're saying, Michelle, about, you know, there's no choice, you're, you're put in that position. I still can't fathom the strength that that, um, you just feel that that's something you have to do. On the, on the weekend, I was listening to um, CBC Radio, and they were talking with um, the daughter of, oh gosh, my memory's terrible, um, Morgan Harris, lady, one of the ladies in Winnipeg, um, and she had the same response about, um, she didn't envision herself ever taking on this role, but um, here she is, you know, she has to do this. Um, and uh, if everyone could listen to people that feel that they're put in that position, a horrible position and to be put in regardless of, um, not regardless, but um, you know, no one should be in that position. Uh, so I'm not really gonna word this very well. <laughs> no, I think you're doing really great. Um, and remember, I, this I is think, your first time, so <laughs> be kind <yeah>. to yourself. <laughs> one of the things, to, yeah, thank you so much. The One of the things, too, I thought, for those of you, I don't want a spoiler alert, but it's not that much of a spoiler alert. Um, when he 
you know, carries on and kind of changes his perspective around getting involved with um, uh, 350.org. And, um, you know, initially it's an organization he never would have um, been involved with, but it was a way for him to continue his activism. And I just found that interesting um, over time, kind of growing through his work and how he thought he could still have an impact. Um, and, you know, the Western world sees him and he's involved in 350.org, which I think uh, in some ways, you know, opens up the specter to people that may not know who he is in, in um, you know, their normal day to day. And then, you know, it just also bringing me back a little bit to um, the warrior aspect. My So my father's side is from the Punjab and they're Sikh and um, Sikhism has a concept of warrior as well. And it's not what people think it is, right? But um, service to others and standing up for what you believe in. And um, sometimes it can be, um, like a physical violence warrior type response, but generally, um, you know, responding to injustices that you see. And so it made me think about those parallels a bit as well. So really good book. And yes, I absolutely would do a public recommendation. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And thanks again for sharing, Marla. I, I definitely want folks to feel like they haven't had to be with us for the last how many years in order to feel comfortable here. So, um, you know, I appreciate you chiming in. And I'm glad that everybody talking about the book is helping to trigger memories of the book for you, too. So that works out really good. And uh, Marnie, I, I'm going to ask you if you would like to be recorded and if you'd like to unmute. I'm fine with that. So I read this book a while ago, and um, like you, Rosemary, I couldn't put it down once I started. You know, I, I just I was completely absorbed by it, and I knew that I was coming to the book club. So I actually, I think I drove my husband nuts because I'd be sitting next to him in the evening reading my book and then dictating out loud onto my notes and my phone the parts of the book that were just things I I did not want to forget and. Um, um, so there was just so much I um, on page 84 I'm so I'm just going to go through some of these that points that really struck me he talked about living his life with dignity instead of pride I thought and that I thought that was a very just a the distinction there was so so important and um I don't know if you remember, he, he worked in other parts of the world, which is one of the things that I found particularly interesting was um, working with indigenous people around the world. And that um, what is happening here and has happened here with the atrocities and the theft um, committed by colonialism is, is happening around the world. And he talked about um, the Zapatistas walking from Chiapas to Mexico City barefoot, which would be like walking from Vancouver to Fort McMurray barefoot. That, that struck me. Um, and I was, I was born in Oklahoma. And um, when he talked about the white men in Oklahoma 
who married Native women to get their land through inheritance, and white men who were married to seven, eight, nine Native women, all of whom died, who then got their land. I mean, some of this I just had to, to sit with and, and just, you know, I couldn't keep reading you know, when things like that came up. And, um, and we were talking, I think you, Michelle, brought up the, the domestic violence. And I loved, I loved what he said about needing a whole new designation for homelessness for the single moms who stay in abusive relationships because they have nowhere else to go. And that that is in its own way homelessness. Absolutely. Um, Nailed it. Yeah, I thought it was very powerful. Um, and his, his talking about the uh, oil industry, um, the way I'm quoting him here, the way Native men and women become addicted to the jobs provided by energy companies, just as their brothers and sisters become addicted to booze and crime. It's not incidental to capitalism, to colonialism, sorry. It's not incidental to colonialism. It is colonialism. That's because the colonist and extractive industries need us. They need our acquiescence. And that was our leverage. It's talking about how, how they were trying to figure out how, where they could insert themselves into the system to make a difference. They need our acquiescence. And that was their leverage. I thought... Uh, that's something we should all listen to. Talking about residential schools and about how maybe some of the people involved were good people, but how do you understand a tragedy so complete, so long lasting that it matches the definition of genocide? There's no way you could have been involved in residential schools. And how does one create a crime of historical scale without meaning to? His, his way of putting things was very, uh, I don't know, it was great. And he describes Sweat Lodge as places where if only for a few hours, you're wanting to be clean and being clean are the same thing. Yeah. So, I mean, I can go on and just, oh, and then he met, <laughs> he talks about meeting his wife, Corin. And he met her in 1995, and that was that. And I read that bit out loud to my husband because we met in 1995, and that was that too. So, <laughs> Kat, you said you were born in the same hospital. Well, I had that same experience in the same year, which is kind of, oh, it felt cool to me. And you talked about the warrior. And I think, I think it's true that we, we think of warriors as sort of bloodthirsty, crazy people or something. I don't know. There's just something about it. And his description that it's not for some of us to defeat others, it's for the for good to defeat evil, and it's not for one idea to erase others. It's, a, it's to find a path through false choices. Now, how's that for way of the warrior, finding path through false choices? Yes. And when you don't fight for yourself, you can put your ego aside. And just as a final thing, because I'm not going to keep going on and on, which I could do, Something I found very, it, it, I could feel the energy in me when I read this, that 75% of Inuit, Métis, and First Nations people are under the age of 30, 55% are under the age of 25. There is a coming transference of economic power, consumer power, to the most marginalized populations in Canadian society. 
Yes. I love this book. Thank you, Michelle. I loved it. I got it out of the library and now I'm purchasing it. <laughs> I love hearing that. It's one I want to keep coming back to. Yeah. So. Yeah. Awesome. That's great news. I'm glad you oh, enjoyed it. Yep. Go ahead. I'm sorry. One more thing about the warriors <laughs> that warriors, warriors are not defined by fighting. They're yes. defined by fighting for. Lovely. Perfect. Yeah. Nailed it. Everybody's clapping and and finger snapping along so thank you Marty. um mike i i invite you to unmute and let me know if you're comfortable being recorded yes i am comfortable being recorded um i think it was rosemary that uh talked about the violence um in the different situations and that was one thing that really stuck out with me is just um in his pathway of life there were different like there were a lot of different episodes and he saw a lot of violence in his life um i think too i know like i'm reading i think it's page 78 where he talks about that you he says that's why you can't be an indian and not be political um so i think just the difference for people who are marginalized and the choices they have in their life as opposed to somebody like myself who's from a spot of privilege and the choice that I have. Um, so I think I reflected a lot on that. Um, and I think it was to the different uh, organizations he worked with at different points in his life and how the choices he made were always about um, the land and how he couldn't for for all of us the what's been happening to our land and to our earth means um, we have to make those choices and we we have no choice um, i think the only other thing i noticed was where he talks about how anger can be a dangerous fuel. And I thought about kind of that connected to the violence and being in a marginalized community and your lack of choices and how anger is a fuel, but then it's also something that he says it's a dangerous fuel. It consumes you even as it nourishes you, enslaves you. So. Yeah, I think those were like, I, I also noticed a few of the other things that were mentioned around, but I think those are things that really uh, struck out to me or stuck out to me. Well, that's great. Thank you so much, Mike, for, for adding to that. I appreciate that. And uh, Paul, I invite you to unmute and let me know if you're comfortable being recorded. Yes, I'm fine being recorded. Thank you. Uh, Marnie, you mentioned getting the book from the library. Never dawned on me I could get the book out of the library. I went right to purchasing it. And it's a good thing I did because I wrote all over it and the library wouldn't have been happy. Um, I love this book. And the word that comes to mind most is profound, especially for um, how relatively young the author is and the wisdom that emanates from everything that he wrote uh, was just inspiring to me. Um, I love the book. I alternated between laughing and crying and yelling 
and being completely silent and just contemplating the messages that he was sending. It was just amazing to me. So thank you for the opportunity. Um, I appreciate the storytelling format that he used, but I really read it from the point of view of a textbook because I'd like to think in terms of what can I and what can we do to heal the earth? 